Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Husky Fan Podcast. Well, this is going to be a doozy. Mr. Jimmy, how are you, my friend? Well, I think you uh, kind of (laughs) started off correctly. It could potentially be a doozy for sure. Um, Obviously, we considered an emergency cast after the game, but uh, now we've let some emotions subside, so maybe we'll get a more cogent podcast in the sense of breaking it down without yelling and screaming into the mic. I think we're past that phase. We're we're old enough now. We're we're, we're past that phase. And, I, you know, we were texting back and forth over the weekend just to let the listeners know because I'm sure they're extremely interested in that. But the word that both of us agreed was just dumbfounded. Like, to me, I wasn't even angry about the game. I was just so dumbfounded that that could happen. Yeah, it was... Um... <laughs> It's a loss of words in, in respect. No, it's it's a it's a laugher. I mean, it's it's funny to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, I I know that you wanted to start elsewhere, but if you want to just dive right into it, we we can do so. Uh, yeah. Can you give me one minute? I know Jim because we also critique the local media, which is also a shit show usually. And we'll, yeah, we'll take a side turn and talk about that for one or two minutes. Jim Moore penned a missive for the Seattle PI, which I, I mean, I guess it doesn't exist, but they still have a, or wait, it was in the News Tribune. I'm sorry. I thought it was Seattle PI. But so Jim Moore, I mean, we both like him personally. I've met him a couple times. So he wrote about Mike Salk and, um, you know, it wasn't like a defamatory or anything like that, but, you know, Mike Salk seems to be a real dickhead. A real asshole, and I was just, I was just wondering, you know, because you texted me about the article, and I was just curious what your take on that was. Well, I, I think, I, I mean, I used to listen to Brock and Salk. Obviously, I'm, I'm familiar with the guy. Uh, I think long before this article was written by our boy Goku's Jim Moore, is simply that he is. Uh, what we would call like a mass hole, kind of that East Coast gruff jerk. And I, I mean, I think that's exactly what he is. Mike, uh, Mike Salk, that is. I just don't want to have yeah, anybody Salk, be confused. Yeah, this is about Salk, who who has single-handedly destroyed that uh, news station. Um, you know, he, he sounds like a really entitled individual. For the woke people, he sounds like a really entitled white man. And uh, he just came off, uh, he just comes off as uh, arrogant and uh, not like a good guy. And I think what Jim Moore's article was doing is supporting what I think many people feel from just simply listening to him talk. Um, And it's interesting because, like, Brock seems like a good dude. I don't know him at all, at all. But it's interesting that, you know, over all those years, Brock would spend, would, would host with him. So Brock must like Salk. Um, you know, so Brock may not like Jim. I mean, Jim Moore is a character. He's a different guy. He's completely different from any sort of radio voice. But I think what Jim does is 
he is himself. He does not hide who he is as a person. Uh, he, I think he speaks his mind in a in a way that others do not. And just a ten second, t- you know, cut in. I'm sorry to cut in, but being authentic—that's really what matters in the long run in this world, in the business world, as far as your career and ma- and many different fields. Like being authentic, especially in that kind of career, like that's what wins out in the long run. That is true. Um, one thing as well that which is incredibly rare is that he can make fun of himself and he can laugh at himself, especially when an ego driven industry like talk radio, sports radio, sports television, uh, he, he is willing to take shots at himself. He's willing to take shots from others. And, you know, I'm sure there's a portion of him that is definitely has some ego, egotistic characters, uh, but I, I think he was a unique guy for the radio, and I think he probably had a lot of fans. He probably had some that really disliked him. But in the end, it really is about Salk and you know him being not a good guy. And I think that article confirmed as such. Yeah, agreed. I, I do like that Jim Moore pointed out that he lasted 10 times as long in his home market as Salk did in his. I mean, Salk leaves Seattle. I always wondered why. He leaves Seattle, goes to Boston, just completely fails, doesn't even last a year, and then he gets to come back with the same job. I I don't even get how that happens. It's incredibly strange, the whole dynamic, the arrangement, him like being a radio voice, program director only program director, him and Brock doing a podcast. I mean, they just kind of let it crumble. And I think that it lacked vision. Obviously, COVID played a part in people like commuting and radio advertising being way down. Um, There are certainly some aspects that, you know, were out of their control. Uh, I mean, I wasn't a huge Daniel O'Neill fan, but he was a super Seahawk fan. Uh, which I'm sure went a long way with listeners, but I mean, he got canned. <laughs> he was the only he was the only local guy calling out Sark in 2013 in the middle of the season. That's true. Uh, and then I, I didn't listen much to Gallant, but I knew that he was like uh, roundly hated by many. Like Gallant was probably considered one of the worst radio voices, except for G. Scott, who was just. Uh, horrific on the radio. Um, I, I think wasn't it a G Scott, uh, Elise Woodward? Uh, I think they had their Jer- own Jerry Brewer, <laughs> Jerry and Elise. Oh no, that was Brewer. Sorry, shoot. I, but didn't G Scott have spots on KGR? Pretty or was that was he on seven ten? No, G Scott. No, he he was on seven ten. Doesn't he have his own show on seven ten? Does he? I have no clue. I don't listen to the broadcast at all. I don't know the lineups at all. I just... I <laughs> Neither do I. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's right. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Jerry Brewer. Oh, no one can top the Brewer-Woodward show. I mean, that was... I mean, wow. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I know we're spending a lot of time on Salt, but, I mean, the bottom line is that station's in the dumps. He got blown up on social media. I know Jessamyn McIntyre's taking shots at Salk. I mean, he is he is certainly someone who I don't think has a lot of fans. Yeah, it's either Salk or 
the program host or somebody who works closely with Salk asked if she was hot when she was being interviewed. So look, and I mean, that's inappropriate, even if not in today's woke culture, but in today's culture, that's almost like grounds for, especially in Seattle. I mean, that should be, that's almost grounds for getting a pink slip. Well, and, and the fact that it's a radio show and look, I mean, let's face it in television, looks are going to matter. It's certainly something you would want to say out loud, but on top of that radio, that's, if you're asking that question for a radio gig, you're simply asking that question from an internal perspective, which is even worse. Right. I mean, I guess they do put they do put the show on. You can watch it on video, but still, I, I think you probably have more people listening on a radio versus like a live stream. Right, I agree. But so to to button up this issue, I mean, the reason we talk about it. It's part of a larger issue in Seattle, how Seattle is changing. The changes are not good for Husky football, and the athletic department needs to counter that. I mean, they need to do a better job of branding and marketing, and so we'll get to that at the end of this podcast. But with that said, Jimmy, let's talk about the football aspect first. And my first question doesn't really revolve around the game, but before the season started... I mean, we never got a chance to give a prediction. I mean, what did, you, what were your expectations for this team coming into the season? Like, if you had a gun to your head, what would you have predicted or what would you have bet on as far as, like, the over-under for the record? I, I think, obviously, with the schedule and how it aligned, like, I thought this was a three-loss team. So, nine and three, basically, or ten and three? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think I think there was an outside shot for uh you know a two loss uh, regular season um I, I think when you look at the you know like i said look at the schedule the home games that are available uh, i i think we thought that's the pac-12 was going to be down this year uh and we knew that we felt like the north you know had washington and oregon who were you know probably arguably the two top teams you know to finish out on top of the pack um obviously it's ucla that's the surprise early on but from the uw perspective you know my view was that this was no worse than a three loss team and we're 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 gonna eclipse that number this year if you already have a loss against montana but i think that was my expectation worst case scenario i thought this was a three loss season regular season wise yeah, I was thinking like eight and four, nine and three, nine and four, maybe ten and three. That was my. Ho- I mean, I was really. You never know, and obviously, there's some dooging that goes with it. I mean, in past years, I think you've been more accurate than me. But my issue, it in these, um, you know, I thought the issues for the team was you have no explosion on offense, um, and front, you know, front seven depth on defense. We talked about it with sub K that. If Thule or Eddie get hurt, I mean, the rush defense, which has gotten worse the last couple years, is going to be a problem. And that wasn't even an issue for this game, honestly. And so, you know, when I was talking with, you know, I was talking with Dennis before the season, I was, and he was basically thinking, you know, this is, he thought like this is an eight and four team, but, you know, if ZTF can play most of the season, like this could be a 10 and two team. Um, 
But okay, if you take the eight and four approach with the home schedule, I mean, where do the losses come from? Well, I was more I was more optimistic on UCLA and Arizona State. Like I thought. I didn't think UCLA would be this good, but I thought those would be tough games. I mean, I thought Michigan's a losable game. UCLA's a losable game. Arizona State's a losable game. Oregon's a losable game. You know, Stanford. And I thought even Cal. I mean, Cal going into last year was they, on paper, they looked like they could contend. And, I mean, they have most of the team back. I know they just lost last week. But I just I didn't see... Um, you know, I, I thought it would be difficult, and but I, you know, we both thought that, granted, it was only one game, but we both thought the offense would be better. Now, I mean, you're lo- you're missing your entire crew of wide receivers, and, you know, on defense, Danny Hammer didn't play, Dominique Hampton was out. I mean, those are two important players. So I don't know, you know, what's going on with the injuries or if it's COVID. I think a wide receiver, one of them has a separated shoulder. I believe that's Udunze. Yeah, I, and I someone said Bynum is uh, supposed to be back um, for the or at least he's he's practicing again, so maybe he'll play this week. But I mean, that's I mean, you look at those injuries, and you don't have explosion on offense. You know, Dylan Morris just completely came apart, and then you factor in. I mean, that's my worry about this weekend is that Michigan that they're going to try and probably be successful running down our throat because our run defense has gotten worse the last couple of years. And our tackling. Uh, I think Akaika Malloy mentioned there was at least six missed tackles. And, you know, this is where our concerns were about linebacker with this team. And, I mean, just the, <laughs> when we talk about Husky football – in comparison to like a softy, the Dick Baird, the Honks, anyone in the local radio station, they're going to have tempered things to say. They're never going to cross a boundary. That's the beauty of what we've been able to do is we can just say it how it is without pissing someone off and getting cut off media-wise. Um, now, but when we talk about explosion, there there is one guy offensively that did not see the field that I think does provide some explosion, and that's Sean McGrew. Now, I feel like when we talk about the running back position, we're like, why didn't they use this guy in this situation? Why didn't they do that with this guy? And, I mean, to Donovan's credit, he did mention he liked fewer backs, get the feel for the game. But when things are clearly not working and Newton is getting continually stuffed over and over again, I think there's an opportunity to look at some other skill set in that backfield. And McGrew gives you a passing, pass-catching element, as does Cam Davis, which who was lightly used. Uh, Newton is one-dimensional. But I think, I think what Washington thought about in this game is that they were going to go vanilla. They were going to use their talent and size to, to dominate this game. And the fact that they had a late scratch, it sounds like, from the wide receivers, I don't know how, you know, how long before the game they knew these guys were going to be out. I mean, Josh Jackson looked real rusty. You know, we heard a lot about Taj Davis. He clearly played a lot. But it, it, it seemed like they <laughs> – you got to go and win the game, and they got punched in the mouth. I mean, frankly, they, they did not expect Montana to come out the way they did. 
And, right, I mean, you'd have had a great first drive to start the game, but Montana answered back with that huge run. I believe wasn't that the next drive when they came? They got the ball back. I I looked at the highlights because I yeah I, I yeah I missed that. You know I I tried to order the right channel, Pac-12 Network. Then it was only streaming on the app, and you know it froze yeah, for a sec. So I missed the play on on uh, YouTube. But yeah, I mean Montana broke a big run early, uh, and I think you know they kind of were dear. I mean if you looked at Jimmy on the sidelines, I mean that guy had no emotion. I felt like he was like, oh, shit. What is going on? Because, I mean, the defense had some plays as we expected them to have plays early on, right? Because we, we felt like defensively that, you know, their secondary strength, that they were ahead of the offense in the sense that, you know, they had the talent in the backfield, in the secondary, um, you know, their front line, their, their defensive front minus ZTF was you know, pretty well intact. And and, in Montana, we just felt like defensively Washington should be able to... I mean, if you looked at Montana's offense, I think think going into the fourth quarter, did they even have 200 yards of offense going into the fourth quarter? I think it was not even 200 yards. Yeah, you know, one thing on Montana, I looked two years ago, and they were ranked in Sagarin about where Arizona was. And they they did play this spring, I think two games, and they beat Portland State like sixty nine to seven. And that you know Portland State obviously is I don't know are they FCS now? I mean they, you know we've played we've played them many times, but like that's for small for small schools that's a pretty impressive win. I mean we I guess we were favored by only twenty three points. So I'm not saying look Montana can probably compete with. Maybe three or four of the teams in the conference. Three um, or four, I would probably, I would probably push three. I yeah, they're, they're probably the best team in the FCS, and I, I think I, I read somewhere like these games are games that should never be scheduled anymore because the players don't get up for it. The fans, it's like not a great game for the fans. You know, if that small school wins, it's a huge problem for the d1 school in this case washington um it's just a bad it's a bad way to start to see a season especially one that apparently is pretty good in the sense of the division they're in they're one of the best um yeah but, yeah but i was just going to quickly say montana had the better coaching staff that day too yeah we're going to get into that um okay. but what, what, I, are you going to shift gears on me Oh no no! I didn't want to. Sh- I just wanted to go back to the first drive. Honestly, I didn't think it was that great because it was their best drive. It was their best drive of the day. I know, but like Newton, I mean, what was his longest run? Like he, you know, there were holes there, and he was he couldn't. I mean, a real good back would have been ripping off 25, 30 yard runs on that drive. You know, it was just seven yards, eight yards, twelve yards. I mean, it's Montana. You know, the first. I'm sorry, but a good team. A top twenty team with a good running attack, they they're they're getting bigger chunk runs than what we were getting on that first drive. So it was to me, it was not that impressive. Well, it was their only scoring drive, and you know, Softy made a made a comment after the game, well into the broadcast, and I, I I'd never looked and see saw if it was true, but he had said that the D line of Montana was like 
averaged 230 pounds. So if if you look at our line, that's like a hundred pound, almost a hundred pound difference up front. And they got their shit kicked in and they gave up three sacks to Dylan Morris. Bainey Valu got yanked, as did uh, Baloo. Both of those guys, you know, the backups came in for both of them. It's like the Wazoo Speed D they had a couple years ago. Yeah. In Montana, clearly, you know, confused them. They didn't know what to do. I mean, this is my thing about Scott Huff and whether he could coach. Uh, we, we, we appear to think he's a – or we do think he's a good recruiter because of the, the you know, the high-profile lineman he has brought in. But, I mean, we've been talking about his coaching ability now for, what, three years? Three years. And that O-line did not look good. It did not look good. And I understand that they were stacking the box. So you make adjustments. You figure it out, John Don. Because what you're putting out there and what we saw was an absolute joke. I mean, no creativity. They seem to run like the same three plays the entire game. Yeah, and how many times, you know, Newton, a lot of fans think he's a great running back because he just runs into guys and falls down. And I'm, I don't like his wiggle. Like, he's getting the ball in the backfield and he's, like, wiggling for no reason. Like, there's nobody there to try and shake. You notice that? Yeah, I. This goes back to a question I said to you. What were they doing all fall camp? Yeah, no, that's a good point because if you look at, um, well, just is it just me or did we look slow and weak to, yes. in comparison to how we should have been? And, and I think about last year, you know, you think about last year and how the offense looked so much better the last couple games. But, it, Jimmy, it makes me think, the success we had last year, the little success, was partly a function of defenses were so out of shape. You know, they didn't have time to practice, so it gave the offenses an additional advantage. And so these, you know, the other teams we played, and you know, we played Utah was only their second game. They barely had any time to practice. You know, Oregon State, they don't have that much talent. It, it was just whatever success we had last year was a total misnomer. And now that now that a lot of the you know these teams, like uh, Montana, for example, they got time to practice. You you look at UCLA, for example. I guess the point I'm trying to make is maybe, yeah, what were they doing in spring and fall camp? Because we, I guess I just you know I could edit that part out because I didn't say anything. But you're right. What the hell did we do in spring and fall camp? Because we look weak and slow. What you're getting to is that but the fact that they looked so unprepared for the game they did not seem like they knew what they were doing when I looked at uh, Dylan Morris I did not see that chip that command of the offense that moxie that we spoke about last year and we had critiqued Newton's running up the backs of his linemen, which we saw once again. I it, it just boggles my mind 
how discombobulated and confused they looked. Frankly, the defense later in the game, I mean, the defense did enough, right? I mean, look, Montana got that scoring go-ahead drive with the backup quarterback, and they ran on that third and 12. But at what point does the defense, you know, give up a drive after – Baylor. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what? All right. Continue. I'm sorry to cut cut you off. Basically, holding the line for the offense to string together one offensive drive out of ten possessions. And th- this is this is going to be the problem with the defense for most of the year. They're going to get tired because the offense is not going to be able to put together that many drives. They're going to get tired and they're going to get worn out. Now, you, you, someone could make the excuse for Morris and be like, well, he had been working with the first string receivers for a portion, you know, for most of fall camp, if they practiced in fall camp. Uh, and then, you know, last minute, these guys get thrown in. I, I mean, I know that people said M- Morris was off target, and that could be the case, but maybe it was the wide receivers were not at the spot they were supposed to be. You know, there could be blame on both sides there. But the fact of the matter is, you're still, if you look at our recruiting over the past three years, like the talent gap is enormous in comparison to Montana. Maybe someone can argue me and say that Montana's talent is is, is closed the gap on Washington. I, I would have a hard time believing that. But to me, it seems like there is enough talent on the field to find a way to win that football game. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, going back to last year, I think we talked about this. If we don't have ZTF, you know, how many, how many times did ZTF help the offense with a turnover? And also. What about his attitude and his fire? Because we saw. A, a, a you know a Peterson first you know first half slow start or a remember how slow the Tyrone Willingham team started out too, just like slept uh, sleepwalking into the game. I mean that's what we basically saw from Washington this game. And yeah, maybe you don't get excited about Montana. You're looking at the Michigan, whatever. I mean, it, on the fact is you haven't played in front of a crowd in a really long time. Uh, it's still the opening, you know, game of the season. I know that the the emotion can subside. Like I think coaches say, like within the first seven to ten minutes, like you have that energy, but then it becomes just the game. And you know, <laughs> but Jimmy, it's the greatest setting. It's the greatest setting. <laughs> yeah. So I, it, it was just uh, so disappointing on so many fronts. But oh, another thing. I wanted to put in there is the defense at times appeared to be afraid to tackle. There was a time when the Grizz quarterback, I don't even know his name, but he like sprinted off to the the left hand side of the field. I think it was like for like a seven or nine yard run. And I shoot you not. There was probably four UW defenders that just did not hit him. They were like watching him. Now maybe they were like, you know, maybe he slides. They didn't want to get flagged or something of that nature. But the the unwillingness to tackle was was shocking. I like how you call him the Grizz. The Grizz. 
I mean, maybe it was the Montana tough going against woke culture. Maybe he got punched in the mouth. Big Sky tough. Big. <laughs> yeah. Big Sky tough. There you go. Uh. Yeah, no, uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, I will say this about, yeah, missing the wide receivers, I mean, we know ZTF is going to be out, but just one comment on Oregon, like, they looked like they were just going to blow the doors off Fresno, and then Thibodeau gets hurt, and, you know, they're just, their whole team collapses, so I'm just saying the importance of an elite pass rusher like that, they really do transform your team, I mean, they really can, and... Um, it sucks that ZTF got hurt, but maybe it's a blessing in disguise because it's revealing that Mr. Jimmy Lake uh, is just totally in over his head. Well, in that respect, just think about everything he said leading up to this season. I got a new nickname for him. What is it? Baghdad Jimmy. <laughs> Dad Jimmy. Well, Do you remember Baghdad Bob? No, I don't. He was the um, the information minister for um, oh, yeah. Iraq at the time of the Iraq War, where he was yeah. just it was yeah. totally yeah. You got <laughs> yes. So, so and I think you're gonna you're gonna prove you're gonna uh, you're gonna continue your comment and basically prove why the nickname makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, his, his touting of the offensive line, the touting of his quarterback, the touting of the talent, the touting of the receiver room, the talent of the quarterback room. I mean, he was setting the bar extremely high and competing for a Pac-12 championship. And that is what you put out onto the field and the way he carried himself on the sideline of that game was like, again, I know I mentioned it earlier, but he knew he was in trouble. He knew all he was thinking about is please get one score. And he was probably thinking, I should have never hired John Dom uh, because it was so pitiful uh, from an offensive perspective. But his build up to this team and, you know, that's something that Peterson would never do. He would never go out there and tell you how great his team is for months and tell you that we're the best at this, best in the country at that, blah, blah, blah. That is not how you operate. Now, I know that's part of Jimmy's bravado, which you can do as an assistant, you know, talk shit on the bus about Mike Leach and all that stuff. Whole different ball game when you're the head guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but he is way in over his head, and he's an empty suit. I mean, I personally like the guy. He was on our show. How can we not like him personally? I I, I like what Gilby did for you, Dub, as an assistant. He was amazing. Yeah, uh, transformed Don James' offense. You know, he helped Neuheisel as the offensive coordinator for the 2000 Rose Bowl team. The guy was a fucking awful head coach who tanked the pro. People are saying Jimmy Willingham. No, this is Gilby. Okay, any fan who really knows Husky history, the Gilby comparison is the perfect one. Yes, because this feels like 2002, 2003, a team that some people picked to win the conference. 
is complete. It's like collapsing, basically. It's ro- It's like rolling over. If you think about, you know, in the capital markets, when people talk about this stock, you know, this market is rolling over, like it's broken down. You know, and then everybody knows the trend is going to be down for a while. That that's 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 what happened to the program in two thousand two, two thousand three, really more so two thousand three. But that's where we are, and you know, in just we talked about before. I mean, this team, the ceiling, even if they turn things around this year, I mean, the ceiling is not very high. You know, what are they going to win six, seven games if they're lucky? I mean, talking about it now, I mean, yeah, I feel like that's a lucky guess. Um, but I, I do want to just make a quick point. I think I think where the Tyrone Willingham comparison comes in when when they say that is one, you know, it has Tyrone owns the zero and twelve season. So you're just you're trying to say it's so bad that this reminds me of Tyrone Willingham, and also people don't remember Gilby so that's so early 2004 I mean the Willingham is 08 which is still a long ways away I mean it's over 10 years ago however it's fresher it has the 0 and 12 so you're you're just like saying I think it's so bad it's Tyrone Willingham bad but when you in reality what you're saying it this is more of like a Gilby scenario because of what was there and then just what happened afterward that this is more in line with Gilby than Tyrone. Yes. Now we can, if we make, you know, if which we'll get into a little later. We, if we make the right decisions, it will be Tyrone in the sense that the program has bought, you know, it's bottomed out, and we can rebound immediately. You put a floor under the program, but we'll get, we'll get into that. But yes, but okay. So getting back to Jimmy, you know. The issue, and because and, I know there's a lot of people, who, a lot of fans who probably think, you know, just change the, there's huge problems here. I mean, if you look at, well, well let's just, there's huge problems, I mean, the, from the athletic department all, all the way down. So changing the offensive coordinator is, that isn't, you know, it might help for a year, but it's really not going to do anything. But just going back to Jimmy, I mean, the recruiting has really, it's been trending down and you know th- this cycle has been real it's been you've had five or six guys decommit they committed and then they decommitted literally like days later so you you couldn't hold on to any of these guys and you know on top of that you you make this bizarre offensive coordinator hire John Donovan who was like an assistant running backs coach in Jacksonville I mean it was a total shock to everyone Bob Gregory, who would have been fired by any real program for the struggles at his position, he gets promoted in-house to defensive coordinator. All these things are questionable. It, but it, but then we look at it and say, okay, fine, you have a good roster. Maybe you can you know, win 10 games this year or win the division, play for a conference championship this year, next year, whatever. That will improve recruiting because people will see, oh, I mean, he, he's a good coach on the field. He has a good roster. I can go to that program. And then you come out, and in your fifth game, you lose to fucking Montana, the worst loss in the history of the program. Uh, it just, I, I mean, that's all the evidence you need. Like, when you're, if it's football, if it's, you know, life, or, you know, when you're investing, you, you know, the the maxim is you cut your losses. You know, you don't, if you're in a bad relationship, you don't 
stay in the relationship. You know, if the guy's beating you, you don't say, oh, maybe he's going to turn you. If you're with a wife beater, you get the fuck out there as soon as you can. I mean, you don't think he's going to change. It's the same thing when you're, you know, if you have friends that are taking you in the wrong direction or, you know, you get them out of your life. If you're, you know, you invest, you put a lot of money in investment and it's turning south and, you know, you got to cut your losses before it turns into a huge loss. I mean, it's the same philosophy here. We can already see what's happening. We can see where this is going. There's no need to, oh, well, let's, you know, hire a new offensive coordinator because Jimmy... I mean, let's be honest. If you're, if you or I were on that staff, you know what we'd be doing after that game? Immediately, we're talking to our friends in the coaching world, and we're sniffing around. Okay, we're, you know, this thing is going to tank. We're going to get fired. I need to start making inroads to my next job. And so you're not. And who are you going to get, knowing that Jimmy Lake is going to be fired eventually? Who are you going to get as offensive coordinator? Well, a couple things. I mean, I think we have to back up. On, on a couple points because I know people will be thinking this. So, right, when when Peterson had obviously the, the brutal last season and we, you know, he was visibly not enjoying himself, obviously it comes out later, he was hating football, hating coaching, hated coaching in the Rose Bowl. Um, and so a couple things about Jimmy is that we loved his attitude. He appeared to close on big guys in recruiting. He was getting a lot of press that other big programs were looking to him as a defensive coordinator. And there was this idea, this pressure, which, you know, Cohen probably felt that, you know, he's been in the Peterson culture for a long time. He's, you know, coached for a long time. You know, he's being groomed or, you know, called upon by other programs. And I think, you know, there was excitement around his what appeared to be his approach to the game. And so I think a lot of people were thinking, like, this is going to be, you know, we're going to continue the Peterson um, culture. He's been here so long, but we're also going to get some of that bravado and that emotion that had been lacking from Peterson's team. And then, you know, we have the shortened season – on the field, we see some red flags with the defense, especially giving up tremendous yards on the ground. And, you know, there was certainly some frustration from our side, like what we were witnessing. But then when you talk about the re- the recruiting component, and then, right, your fifth game in, you lose to Montana, and you can't put up more than seven points. And when you start putting that all together and like you said the trend is scary for what is ahead and the fact that John Donovan's offense looks horrible it looks archaic it doesn't have any creativity I don't care if you thought that you could just bully your way through Montana and you wanted to keep things undercover for Michigan there was literally nothing that that even remotely looked like a college football offense. Like there is no way that your team will survive scoring 20 points a game. You I mean that's not college football. You don't win games scoring 20 points. Nick Saban completely there's a video he completely changed his philosophy 5 or 6 years ago he said. Even a couple years before that he was starting to change. He said the rules are completely different. They favor the offense. 
you don't win. He said you don't win games now by holding the opponent down. You win it by outscoring them. So Jimmy Jimmy's philosophy is he's totally. I mean, he's a dinosaur now. Well, the system that they brought in, it's a, I mean, we had question marks, right? There was a lot of talk in regards to, you know, how the linemen were, were, were lining up so tight and I wasn't giving you lanes. You know, we weren't running anything of like a, of a college offense that we see in regard. I mean, there's like no, I don't like the bubble stream, but I mean, it's a part of the game. It were, there, there was nothing to, to move Montana's defense around or make them think. Or make them cover guys out in space. Uh, it was like just throwing to the side and running Newton up the middle. Like that's pretty much what. And we saw some like you know some inside. Why am I blanking on the, the you know some of these routes inside zone? Running, huh? Inside zone. Yeah, they were the the routes they were running receiver wise. You know, they were cutting into the middle of the field over and over again. And then Otten, I mean Otten, he was just looking for him in the middle of the field. Um, you know, and you just couldn't, you can't go back to that over and over again. You gotta, you gotta set some things up. You gotta use Otten as a decoy, set them up for some plays on the outside deep. I mean, we didn't, I don't think he attempted a pass beyond 25 yards. But there's a lot, excuse me, there's, you know, they're running a lot of slant routes, you know, and that's all they, they, they like were running the same routes over and over again. We had no explosive plays the entire game, except maybe the Otten conversion on the last drive. And then he went right back to it, and what did, what did, what did the Grizz do? Picked it. Um, I mean, dude, like, set that up for something else. You just got a long gainer. Make him think you're running again. I mean, Don, Did we have any no play action? No play action. Uh, I, I mean... Oh, I mean, look, they, did they even roll out? Did they even roll Morris out but for a few plays? No, I mean, it was, I don't yeah. think so. I mean, they, and, dude, he was not, he didn't have a ton of time. Like, we couldn't block. We didn't make any adjustments on the line in regards to, like, what Montana was showing up front. Uh, you know, they were moving guys around a lot, but, dude. That damn speed D. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was, like you said, it was a laugher. Like, yeah, we could have yelled and screamed after, but in the way there was like this feeling of dejection, at least for me, like, and I told you that I am like burned out on this program. I mean, how many years, I mean, we started this whole thing when Sark was, we knew Sark was shitting the bed and we knew he was not the right guy. And that, you know, we would voice our displeasure and the fact that this needs to change. And here we are again. And, you know, we have to appreciate what we had with Peterson, uh, you know, and what he had done to the program, especially in the sense of what you want, you know, what the upper campus wants and academia first, all that shit. I mean, Peterson was your best fit in all of those markers. Totally. Obviously gone. And it's hard to replace a guy like that. And, uh, you know, we don't have the right guy. And people will say maybe it's too early to predict that. Uh, no, it's, it's, I mean, we've, we've laid it out here. In addition to just, 
Jimmy being Baghdad Jimmy with all these statements that have just been rendered totally false. It's clear that he just... And you know what? I, I don't blame him one bit. It's not his fault. Continue. I mean, it's not his fault. They didn't do... Like, I'm curious how much if if Peterson really urged Jen Cohen to hire Jimmy or if Peterson just said, I'm gone, do what you want. Well, Peterson and, made the comment, I wouldn't feel comfortable leaving if I wasn't leaving the program in good hands. That's he said good hands? Statement. Okay. And, uh, okay, so here's... Well, before, before we get to that, I think it's... I mean, any last comments on why... I mean, just speak to the people who say, you know, we got to change the offensive coordinator and, and, and give Jimmy a real chance. You know, he's got it hire. Well, the other thing is he hired this staff. You know, I already went over it earlier, the bizarre coordinator hires. So I don't, I, I, I don't think you're going to get some unicorn offensive coordinator who's going to completely turn this thing around. I mean, you're, you're really not. Um, no way at this point juncture that you're going to replace Donovan he's installed a system what do you do have a new guy come in and install an entire new system at the start of the year well I mean new highs they did in 1999 you know they went to the option I mean yeah and he had Gilbertson who had offensive coordinator experience and you know he had success as a coordinator and he was an offensive line coach uh, as well, I mean, he had a unique skill set in that regard. That you know, he was able to, and they had the quarterback to make that make that shift, right? I mean, they had a running quarterback, right? And they were with know, it, with his high school teammate, the fullback. Yeah, they had Conniff, right? I mean, they had elements there, and, and Tui. I'm I'm sure he ran the option in high school at Woodenville. Uh, you know, they already had a number of pieces in place to make that work. Like, what? what is this? I mean, I guess the new coordinator could come in and install, you know, more of a friendly college offense of some kind. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I would look at how many, you know, how many weeks do you have? So we have a bye. Let me uh, pull up. Uh, let me find a schedule that's metrics that metrics superiority guys have. He's not. I mean, what is this? Does he have a guarantee? He's being paid 850000 He's under contract. It's There's now no squints the guy on Twitter squints shout out to him um, who knows a lot about football he was he had a thread and I think he was saying like Helfrich is probably the one guy we could hire I just don't see it so here's the thing if I, I know we don't see it but I hypothetically we could get rid of Donovan and then so we have one two. They could get something installed by the UCLA game, October sixteenth. The the we we play Cal and Oregon State. Those are the two league games. That, but like you said, if Jimmy's dead man walking, what? Why would Helfrich come? Maybe the fact that just to give give him a give him a two year contract and give him more money. I mean, how much is he making in TV? No idea. But know what three three hundred grand, five hundred grand? I mean. No idea. It, we could easily pay him a million dollars for two years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that's 
do do I think that's going to happen or do I think it would save the season? I think that's the realistically that's what you would have to do. You get rid of Donovan after this game. You bring in Helfrich immediately and you next 5 or 6 weeks you use that to completely overhaul the offense. Well, didn't you see enough from last season to know that John Don was not the guy? I mean, I granted, I mean Morris played out, you know, played lights out in a couple of those games at the big comebacks, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, we still had a lot of concerns around that offense, even with those performances. Yeah, I mean, the passing offense was pretty encouraging. The, I mean, the running offense looked the same. I mean, you could make the case that the passing offense, you know, all the, all the wide receivers are hurt. I mean, Ty Jones, there's a lot of people who, you know, think Ty Jones is soft and not a good receiver. He's a good receiver. I mean, we could have fucking – I mean, we, if we had Ty Jones, we'd probably win that game. Ty Jones can block and catch, and he's a big body. I, I liked Ty Jones. He was – thought he was a good receiver. Um. But for some reason, that whole wide receiver room just got des- just wiped out, not by injury, but just by people leaving. Yeah. Now I know what Spiker went to, uh, you know, two A school. I think I don't know where. Well, he he seems to yeah he seems to kind of be drifting. But yeah, Osborne had a good first game. I think. Um, it just uh, it just you know Ty Jones certainly would have been. A but huge I get I to anything that we saw on Saturday. Yeah, I guess my point is, you look at last year, the passing offense was, you know, decent, better than decent as far as the analytics. You take away Puka, you take away Ty Jones, you take away Rome, you take away Jalen, you take away uh, Bynum. So, I mean, that has a huge, I mean, that probably covers, yeah, I mean, that covers it significantly. But we know that, you know, the, the running offense was abysmal last year. We saw it again. But... So I just I think that the main point I think you agree, but the main point that we should get across is there, a new offensive coordinator is not going to turn this thing around. I don't think so. I, and I so just, that 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 that's why Jimmy has to go at the end of this year. I mean, it's a bad situation, and you have to just you have to nip it in the bud right away. We can't let this thing, you know, Gilby, two thousand three. I mean, you know, he lost to it. He had a team, of, again, a few people predicted, legitimate people, might have been Phil Steele. I remember, you know, I was really bullish on the year. Of course, there was a huge fucking duke back then. Thought we were going to be good every year. And, you know, we lost to like a UCLA team by like 40 points. We lost to a horrible Arizona team that like hadn't won a game or only one game. Uh, you know, the Cal game, remember, we gave up like 800 yards of offense. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's, it's, you know, and Gilby was basically an interim coach anyway. Yeah. He should have been fucking fired after that year, you know, and then he tanked the program the next year. So, I'm sorry, I like Jimmy personally. You know, Dick Baird was saying after my call on the postgame show, did you like Dick Baird's reaction? He's a good guy. You know, he's a nice guy. We can't fire him. No, that that doesn't cut it. That You know, there's a lot of nice guys and good guys. You don't pay this amount of money. I mean, we've been through this over and over, right? I mean, that's just not how it works. The results-based business, most, most jobs are, but this is unique. The NFL, college football coaching, results at the end of the day are just they don't care if you're an asshole or a good guy 
I mean, it doesn't has no bearing on how someone makes a decision in these scenarios. There's too much at stake. There's too much money involved. Yeah. There, there's I, too many strings attached to this thing. It doesn't work that way. I mean, Baird's response was absurd. That's why his that's why his opinion and his thoughts don't matter at all. And that's why, like, you know, listening to Softy, I only do it because I like to hear the calls. I like to hear people bitch on these type of things. It's it's entertainment. But they, they can't come out and say, like, the things they probably really want to say. They guys, oh, everything's on the table after this game, blah. I mean, Softy's not going to come out and criticize the program, the athletic department, Cohen, what I th- coach. <clears throat> I think Softy, I mean, Christian Capel tweeted something like, oh, you should say, you know, what you said in the press box at the end of the game. And he was, I mean, I think Softy is, he he knows, he knows Jimmy's got to go. I mean, he, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to go, but waited till like it was painfully obvious where, you know, he wouldn't be, you know, he probably got the green light from the UW to say, yeah, okay, go ahead and say whatever you want. Okay, so before, so a couple things, and then we can wrap up because I know you want to get to bed. Me me too. First of all, I mean, I think, okay, the way forward, you know, who who can we hire? Who can be the next head coach? We we can talk about that, and then we'll talk about a little bit about, you know, Cohen, the administration. Um, Okay, so who could be the next head coach? I, I I see two good options right now. The first one is Jen Cohen makes a call to Chris Peterson and say, look, you said you're said you're leaving the program in good hands. This is not good hands. This is collapsing. You recruited all these players. You promised them, you know, a world-class education, a great football program that you're going to help them get to the NFL. And Jimmy is failing on all of that. And you've had two years off. Now you've had your sabbatical. You've been able to recharge. You got to come back and fix this mess, you know, or otherwise we're going to see a complete collapse here. And, you know, you will have done all these players wrong that you recruited and left in the hands of Jimmy and this staff who are not developing them, not helping them win, not preparing them for an NFL future. So to me, that's the... That's the first option. Okay. I want whatever you're snorting, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that option would work. <laughs> no, I like, I love the idea. I love it. What's option two? I mean, why, why and, and here's the thing, Jimmy, I think Peterson, because he's been able to recharge, we're not going to get the 2019 Peterson if he were to come back. It would now the the problem is he might still be in the 2019 frame of mind and that's why he would say no but if his mind is in where it was 2015 2018 I mean if he's in that frame of mind if he would say yes and come back you know he would be in that frame of mind not the 2019 frame of mind well, of course. so I don't think I don't think we would have to you know because a lot of people will think about 2019 and they'll say oh you know we can't have Peterson, but no, to me, it's it's an easy it's an easy first call that you make as far as your options. 
Well, one, he wouldn't be coerced in the idea. I think all the right. things that you mentioned are fair. The other component is that, you know, his legacy could certainly be tarnished by those that were listening. And, you know, him saying that this program was going to be in good hands with Jimmy. And certainly some of his legacy would be damaged in that respect. I don't think he has any interest in coming back and coaching. Um, if he did make that decision, I would be very happy. I think any Husky fan at this at this stage, looking at the last 21 years of this program, would welcome back Peterson in you know <laughs> open arms, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any idea what the odds of that would be. Probably really low. I'm not bank. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not banking on it. But you have to fucking make the call and make the pitch. There's no question that you make the call and you make the pitch. One hundred percent, you do that. Now, so if he says no, I mean, obviously you do a coaching search, but. You know, even, I have to say, even in 2019, you know, the, the couple games, you know, when the season was kind of going south, I had some text threads with people, multiple people, you know, people who are not, you know, people I know, but they don't know each other. They were very intrigued by Justin Wilcox. So I think he's the, you know, you obviously open up, you do a search, but I mean, I, if, you know, if that's your best option because Peterson says no, um, I, you know, that's something I would be happy with. I mean, we'll see how Cal does this year, but I mean, he, he's a really good coach. He would be able, at Washington. He would be able to recruit better and build a much better roster. You know, obviously the pol- the politics at both places are a dumpster fire, but I mean, at Cal, they really don't like football. At least our fans here like football. So, um, well, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if he would say yes, but I mean, that's look. I mean, hiring coaches, there's not like a unicorn out there. Like it, it's really difficult. There's usually not like an obvious good coach that you can hire. Right, but I think one, we're getting way far ahead. But I, I do like the conversation. But I think the other problem is, is the amount of money tied to the staff and Jimmy. Is going to make it extremely difficult to where we already question the commitment of this program to football. Uh, I mean, by no means does it appear that Cohen even looked outside the circle of Jimmy Lake in regards to someone coming in. And, you know, there would probably be some blowback in some ways if she hadn't hired like, uh, in, our, in our current uh, society. There would probably be some issues around that. Um, so she was boxed in, I think, in some ways. Um, you know, and the fact of the matter is to to fire Jimmy, too, in his second year would probably bring some pretty ugly uh, press as well. And are they going to have the stomach to pay out all that money and then bring in some, let's say a Wilcox and pay him a pretty, I mean, you're talking about in this significant financial hit, but as I know you're going to say, you can't lose that, you know, attendance revenue. Well, yeah, tequila has been posting about that, but I mean, think about it. If you, 
I mean, if you look at, I mean, it depends on the season. Like, if this is a real disaster, like it's a three-win season, and you look at the empty seats, I mean, that's some major lost revenue. Don't you think? Uh, Well, of course. I mean, next, like, next season, if you have... Yeah, I don't have the data to know how these things go, but I don't know how much the average ticket is. But if you have six, let's if you have seven home games, let's say fifty dollars a ticket, so that's three hundred fifty dollars. Let's just round it up to five hundred. Maybe there's some donation that goes with it, and you, um, you have ten thousand left or ten thousand less people. That is what. Uh, Gosh, it's late. Okay, so what's 10,000 times 500? Is that 500,000? Just get a calculator. Okay, all right. Well, maybe you you can talk. All right. Look, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's 5 million. Wow, that's just, yeah. Okay, that would be for the whole season. Or is that one game? Whole season, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, look... Maybe donations would be down. What, what what Cohen is praying for is this thing to turn around, and they're hoping for a, a Michigan victory because that would that would quiet the crowd or the detractors a lot. But I, I think the writing's on the wall. They're going to have to plan for it, and they're going to have to open the purse strings. And I don't know if they have a stomach to do that. I, I mean, I think it comes down to the BSDs ultimately. We gotta, we got, we gotta get our, our our parting thoughts here, pal. I I gotta go. It comes down to the BSDs, and you know they've been feckless in the past. So, okay, parting thoughts. Um, Jen Cohen has to go. I mean, look at her track record. I mean, look look at our athletic director, our head coach, and our two coordinators. Like, they wouldn't have the same job at, like, 95% of Power 5 schools. I mean, Jen Cohen would not have been hired by anybody else to be an athletic director. And she's done a horrible job. I mean, Jody Wynn, the basketball hire, she tanked the program there. Mike Hopkins, I mean, he did win a conference title, tanked the program after that. Uh, Jimmy Lake is in the process of tanking the program. And, uh... She hired uh, a guy she hired for senior associate athletic director, one of the most important hires. I think he was a fundraising guy. He raped a volleyball player. So, um, you know, I, I just, I don't mean to pile on Jen Cohen, even though I do. But, you know, and then you, you, hear, her, you hear her speak, you read her interviews, and it's clear that she's not very bright and... She really has no vision, no plan, no idea how to execute, you know, nothing as far as NIL and no, just no plan of action, no vision for what's going to happen over the next 10 years or so. And on top of that, I was reading, there was a poster on Dogman who said that I think it was some kind of, you know, wine and cheese event with donors or ties. And Jen Cohen basically admitted she hadn't done anything yet on NIL as far as boosters and local businesses. So she's just a figurehead who's collecting a paycheck. 
I mean, she is a total disaster, and I, I, she's the first one who has to be fired. Not Donovan, not Jimmy Lake, Jen Cohen. And they need to hire a real athletic director who can transform the department and has a vision for how to move into the future in the landscape of college athletics, which is really changing. And, you know, if, and that's what fans and, and boosters and all of us, you know, we're making calls into radio stations and, you know, the Donovan, the play calling, you know, recruiting, that's, that's just minor at this point. You have to think bigger. We have to get the right leadership in place to steer this thing forward because if not, we're just going to fucking fall apart again like 2003 and, you know, the next time we're going to have a good team will be 10 or 12 years. And, you know, Dick Barrett will probably be dead by then. You know, the old timers are, you know, they're not going to see another Rose Bowl if that happens. It's clear. And I got, I want my say now, buddy. Yes. Yes. I want yours. I thought you were going to check out and go to bed, but yes, I'm waiting with bated breath. I'm eager to hear your say. Uh, You know, with Cohen, we, we know why she was so distraught and torn up when Peterson decided to leave the program because he was the anchor for that entire athletic department. It was not Jen Cohen. It was Chris Peterson. And she was scared out of her mind realizing that she was going to have to do this thing on her own. And it is clear that she is way in over her head the Hopkins hire has been an utter, utter disaster. Your two main sports, let's be real. Like, so, well, Crew's still good. Well, Crew's been good forever. I mean, get, get out of here. I mean, this lady uh, is not qualified for the job. We knew that from the beginning. She's paid an incredible amount of money, and she's tanking this thing. And it is clear as day that she needs to go. And if people want to defend her, what are you going to defend her on? Seriously. At this point, it's an utter disaster. That's why Softy Softy will never point this out. That's why you have to listen to alternative sources, because they will never say what needs to be done. And I think the biggest problem is that I don't think they have the guts and the desire and the want to make this transition for a winning program because it's not important enough to do so. So we're, as a Husky fan, we're up against the wall of seeing a program that we beloved, that we love for so long. You know, I'm worried that this is the end and we're going to be a middling program for years to come because in Seattle, I mean, you look at other stadiums across the country right now now granted they don't have the restrictions or you know the stuff going on that that washington commits to the state of washington commits to but those sec stadiums virginia tech texas oklahoma texas a&m those crowds are off the hook into their teams insane environments the pac-12 does not bring that and the washington environment is nothing like that and when you talk about nil that is going to change the landscape of college football. And if we have nothing to offer from a nil perspective, kiss your ass goodbye for getting any top recruit. If you have no plan in place 
on them getting free cars and doing fucking commercials and eating free and being the spokesman for this business and that business. Because if you don't have any of that locally and you don't start ponying up the cash, why in the world would top players that are being pitched this by every other program that's taking it seriously, you are never, ever, 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 ever going to go to Washington without a nil program. And it's only going to get bigger and more expansive. And, you know, it's going to be social media campaigns. It's going to be all-out warfare from a nil perspective. And Washington has no desire to get into that game, clearly. That's all I got. Yeah, and I would just add, you know, there's some fans who think, oh, well, you know, it's okay, we'll be 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. Fuck no. Like, we're going to be a two- or a three-win program pretty soon if they let this thing spiral out of control, which you're right, they will, because what's going to happen at the end of this year is they're going to fire Donovan. You know, a, some of the coaches are going to get other jobs because they're smart. They're going to, you know, they're going to fire Donovan, uh, Jimmy. You know, the attendance next year will be terrible. Jimmy will probably be fired at that point, which is a year too late. Like that's probably what's going to happen. You know, instead, what we really need, you know, if we, if we, uh, if we can't get Peterson to come in and be a stopgap, you know, what we have to look at is there's he's not coming. Well, okay, in that scenario, the reason we have to get rid of Jimmy now is we have to look at Sam Heward is our Justin Herbert. And this is 20, you know, we are 2016 Oregon. Like, that could be one positive outcome. If we make the changes, have a couple years of rebuilding, then we can really compete, you know, while Sam and Savelle are still here. Because if if you wait a year to make the change, we're good, guys are going to transfer after this year anyway. You know, and then next, next year, Jimmy's going to be a dead man walking. You're going to have even more guys transfer after that. Got to go. All right, no final comments? Oh, dude, we didn't do All right. Do it. All right. Well, I, I like what you said. It was beautiful. All right, you too, man. All right. Have a good night. And Any prediction for this week before I let you go? Oh, you want to do a prediction? I mean, I don't know. I haven't even thought about it. I don't want to think about it. I think we lose like, I think we lose like 27 to, you know, 20, something like that. You think we're going to score 20? Yeah, I think there'll be some bounce back. There'll be some. There'll be some. Some, some fight. Some grit. Game. Maybe there'll be a little fight. But yeah, I don't think they win. I'm gonna go 31-10, Michigan. Oh, yeah, that's probably more realistic. All right. On that note, brother, great work and uh, good night. Good night, everybody. Hang it up. Turn it off.